Welcome into a crossover episode of the Pickaxe and Roll and Suns Solar Panel Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Uh, I am joined today in what I think I would like to do more, uh, something that I think is is really great to do across uh, different platforms, organizations, covering different teams. I am joined today by a very special guest, managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun and co-host of Sun Solar Panel, Dave King. Dave, how are you? I know this is airing on your end as well, and I'm sure your your listeners are very excited to hear from a Nuggets person. Yeah, I know. We're actually very excited. I'm so looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. I'm so looking forward to a season actually starting and games actually happening. We... You know, on one hand, it's been an extremely short offseason. You guys in the playoffs to the, through the second round, Suns made it to the finals. Um, we've had short off seasons. And for a long time here, I've been like, I'm not quite ready for the season to start. Am I really ready? Am I really ready? And then I go to some preseason games and, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I think I'm ready. And now we got regular season starting on uh, Wednesday night, Suns versus Nuggets. Jokic versus Aiton, uh, you know, Booker versus, you know, uh, well, you guys don't have Murray right now, but you know, it's, it's still the whole clash of the potential Titans in the West. And I'm really looking forward to it. I was really looking forward to the playoff series last year and then the playoff series actually happened and I wasn't looking so forward to it anymore <laughs> after because we we recorded our first step we recorded an episode together uh, yep. back then after Before game it one. Started. Oh, after game and, one. That's right. Yeah, that's and that's when I thought, OK, things don't look very good for this team. And and I, I came onto that podcast and, and said that I thought that things would turn around, but they they clearly never did. Uh, it was it was really disappointing from the Nuggets side, but on the Suns side, you guys had a meteoric rise, and I, I don't know if any Suns fan was predicting finals at the beginning of the season, but that no. is exactly what happened, and it was really cool to see. We were thinking top four in the West. That was that was my recollection. Is when Chris Paul was acquired, we were thinking top four in the West, which was aspirational at the time because the Suns had missed the playoffs 10 straight years. And then really what happened is, look, I acknowledge that there were injury um, uh, benefits that the Suns, you know, gleaned. And I'm not going to belabor the fact, I'll mention it, <laughs> because I'm not going to belabor the fact that Chris Paul only had one arm in the first round, healthy in the second round. You guys saw healthy Suns. Very third healthy round, in the second round. <laughs> yeah. Uh, third round, Devin Booker had a broken nose and Chris Paul had a uh, torn ligament in his wrist. And then uh, finals is just, they got run over by Giannis. So um, the Suns took every advantage that they could in that playoffs, despite their own um, uh, minor issues. But of course, they had all their players almost all the time. And so the Suns really did take advantage of that. And um, I'll always look back on that as a special season. It's a very special season. And you guys should absolutely celebrate that. And despite the fact that there was some injury help that kind of guided that along, I do think that, and I, I will say this and continue to say it, that the Suns proved that they were extremely dangerous and that they they took it. It wasn't just that they were like aided and abetted by that. It was that they were the most steady, the most reliable uh, performer over Utah, especially in, in the playoffs last year. And, and I think Utah was in a really great setup where they could have done it, but it was the Suns that took advantage. And so you guys should absolutely be taking credit for that. And I think you could take that credit into this season 
uh, which kind of leads to the offseason, kind of leads to the extension talks that I wanted to focus on in the first segment here. Uh, the extension deadline just passed, and there was a very high-profile non-extension that happened with DeAndre Ayton that you guys are very familiar with. Uh, two sons were extended, Mikhail Bridges and Landry Shamitz, uh, both on very favorable deals, I will say. Uh, but it seems like the story is the extension that didn't happen, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was listening this morning right before we record this. I was listening to Brian Windhorst and Bobby Marks on um, on uh, the Hoop Collective, I guess, is, is Windhorst's podcast. And I'm really disappointed. Bobby Marks was a friend of my show, Sun Solar Panel. But ever since that Sage deal meltdown two weeks ago on a podcast, ESPN has cut off temporarily all guest visits by ESPN people on on friend on on non-affiliated podcasts so i lost my mm. ability to i could have had bobby marks on this whole freaking time but anyway i've been texting back and forth with him um i listened to brian windhorse take on it as well who has connections and apparently the suns just don't see deandre Aiden as a max player they never offered anything close they never got close on an extension deandre Aiden is like look man four other guys from my draft class have max extensions i was the first pick I took, I helped you get to the finals. I did everything you asked me to do. I became the player you wanted me to be, which is basically a souped up DeAndre Jordan type because Chris Paul really likes that kind of player, souped up Clint Capella. And yet it turned out that that kicked DeAndre Ayton in the butt. They, they basically, they basically said, do everything you want, we want. And, uh, and you'll get all your dreams come true, DeAndre. He's like, okay, I trust you. And the Suns are like, ha, 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 ha. You know, because then they started treating him like a Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan in contract talks. When really, he, this he's got more talent offensively than they showed. They had him show last year because they wanted him to focus on defense. And I don't know um, how much uh, Nuggets fans uh agree with this con uh, this statement i'll say but i really felt like deandre ayton was a very good defender on nikola Jokic in that series and did not let nikola Jokic just take over as the mvp of the league incredible player any team wants to get nikola Jokic, but if anybody could could uh make him to where he couldn't win the games all by himself it was DeAndre Ayton. And then they didn't have to double right. team. They just left DeAndre Ayton on an island. Every series, they left DeAndre Ayton on, a, on an island against some of the team game's best big men and weren't forced to double team and scramble their defense and screw everything else up and almost won the championship because of it. I'm not saying DeAndre Ayton's the best player in the game, but if you've got a guy who can defend the best player, best big men in the game and can uh, score historically efficiently on offense, rebound like a madman, if you've got a souped up guy um, uh, of the of the ilk that are making 20 million and he's like that, the guy who can actually carry you to a finals, maybe he is worth a max. But the Suns never saw it as a, him as a max player, apparently. And he just didn't want his team just didn't want to negotiate at all. It was very surprising to me uh, coming from the side that Denver was where we got to see DeAndre Ayton at his best. I do agree with you that he was one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult matchup for Nikola Jokic on, as, on the big man level. And uh, there, were, there were some questions as to how, how effective the one-on-one -on -one discussion would have been if the, if the other shooters were Jamal Murray, Will Barton, guys like that. But it was pretty clear that they left DeAndre Ayton on an island 
And he absolutely delivered in that series to the point where it just made Jokic work 10 to 15% harder than he would have had to against any other normal average center, even, even guys like Clint Capella and uh, DeAndre Jordan and, and that particular archetype. I was really surprised that they didn't give it to him. And I think it's, it seems like a very clear line in the sand from ownership or the coaching staff or whatever you want to call it, that this is not a max level player and we aren't going to treat him as such. I, it just was a, it was a mind blowing thing for me as somebody who had to, like had to was, was able to watch him last year. Yeah. Another weird thing to me is, and I, as you can probably tell, I'm an Aiton supporter. Yes. They, they took the wrong guy in 2018. I get it. They should have taken Luca, but having Aiton, you've got one of the rare unique talents in the game too. And what's really interesting to me is we're entering year four for him. He was up for his rookie extension, just like Mikhail Bridges, just like uh, Rolandry Shaman, in fact, who was acquired over the summer, who's been traded three times in three years. Um, all three guys were up for extensions. All Monty Williams and the coaching staff talked about and showed in preseason games for the Suns was new offensive wrinkles for Bridges and Shaman. But they didn't show hmm. any new offensive wrinkles for Aiton, who is one of the more talented guys out there. Yeah, obviously, he doesn't shoot the three very well, and he doesn't shoot the mid-rangers at high efficiency. But you'd think they would be working on stuff and talking about how they want to make him the true third scorer on the team, even though he always is, but truly third scorer. And Monty Williams actually commented, you know, we'd really like Mikel Bridges to be our true third scorer if, if we can get there. I thought that was interesting. And of course it makes sense with the fact that they extended Bridges and uh, Shamit on much lesser deals, of course, uh, but they declined to extend Aiton. So we're all a little wondering how this is going to play out this year because clearly the Suns as a coaching staff, as a front office, don't see him as the max player that he thinks he is and a lot of observers think he is. Do you have any fear about this sort of crumbling the relationship that they've helped forge over the course of the last three seasons? We don't know. Uh, look, DeAndre, uh, we don't know yet because obviously – we haven't seen it, but DeAndre Ayton comes from the Bahamas and he very, le very much leans into that. And that's why I bring it up. Why, why does that matter? Well, when I asked him one time, what would you be doing if you weren't a basketball player? He'd said, eh, I'd be walking the beach. <laughs> He's literally <laughs> that guy where I, and he said, when he gets a time to himself, he loves being back in the Bahamas and just walk being on the beach. And that just means he's a chill, relaxed, doesn't necessarily hold a grudge guy, which on one hand is a detriment to his work ethic because he doesn't overwork out. He doesn't show up at 5 a.m. to the gym. He doesn't stay two hours shooting after a bad game. Um, and he's he's a guy you've always had to prod into being in extremely good shape and work his way into great shape during the year. Um, but on the other hand, that might also mean he doesn't hold grudges. It's possible that he'll just kind of go along. He'll, he'll be in prove-it mode this year. But it's quite possible he won't hold a grudge. He's not. He's, he might not be that kind of guy who knows what a grudge is because of his background. So we don't know yet. It could. It certainly um, deteriorated. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Suns, has a way of deteriorating relationships with players that eventually come out. And he did it with. He's done it with past players. Um, I still remember one time when Sean Marion 
back in the seven seconds or less days, uh, Sean Marion was always the clear third best player on the Suns, but one of the most important players. Gosh, it sounds a lot like DeAndre Ayton, doesn't it? Um, but uh, Amari uh, Stoudemire and Steve Nash got all the headlines, got all the all-stars. And of course, Sean Marion got all-star bids all the way through. Great guy. Um, but he came in one year. I think it was eight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the year they traded Marion for Shaq midseason. It was um, 07, 08, I believe. And um, uh, Marion came in off their uh, uh, second round loss to the Spurs, came in in the offseason and said, you know what? I need a max extension. My, my contract's coming up. I need a max contract. I'm just as good as these guys, if not more important than these guys. And Robert Sarver just basically blew him off and said, look, I got you under contract already. We don't need to talk about that. You've got a year left on your contract. We don't need to talk about that. And by the way, we don't think you're a max player anymore. Um, that really pissed off Sean Marion to the point where it helped kind of ruin the chemistry of the team during the fall of o of uh, 07, the fall of 07 to the spring of 08 when he got traded. They they had the best record in the West, um, but there was something wrong, something stale, something not quite right. And so they eventually traded Marion for Shaquille O'Neal, if you all remember. And then everything really went downhill from there. I worry that something like that is going to happen again. He also spoiled it, unnecessarily spoiled relationships with Goran Dragic and uh, with Channing Fry, one of the nicest guys in the history of the game. Um, it's just, I worry that that's going to happen again, but it's possible it won't because DeAndre may not care as much about that. I don't know yet. We'll see. I have to think that Monty Williams will play a huge part in that as well. He mm-hmm. seems like a very connective personality, somebody who was was very like in front and center in his ability to get DeAndre Ayton to buy in. Uh, as he continues to buy in, hopefully he buys into whatever role they decide to play. And, and maybe the, the max contract still comes. So this is this is just extension talks. This is just uh, the precursor to free agency and restricted free agency at that. So maybe there is a, a way to get this straightened out. Uh, it oh, just there probably to, is. And I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt, but there probably is. What probably is going to happen is the Suns are going to offer him um, just as good, if not better contract next spring. He's going to realize next summer, he's going to realize mm-hmm. nobody else can give him that kind of offer. They'll, they'll give a dollar more than some anyone else can offer. And he'll have to take it over, taking the qualifying. And then, you know, and then they'll, but they'll probably end up trading him at some point if he becomes a problem. My worry is that he's the guy Chris Paul berates constantly to get in the right spots and set the right screens and get the angles right and everything. And last year he was a sponge and he took it. He was that kid who just took all the abuse and made the most out of it. What if he starts tuning out Chris Paul this year? You know, that's my worry is what if he starts going, yeah. That didn't get me what I needed last year. I did everything you asked me to do, Chris Paul, and it got me an expiring contract is all it got me. So I wonder if he's going to be a little bit more tune on Chris Paul, a little bit more tune on Monty Williams. Then the other side of this is, guess who was the last guy that everybody thinks was the greatest human being on earth that worked for the Suns? Steve Kerr. Guess what mm. Steve Kerr do? He just kind of said, I'm going to retire. I'm just going to leave. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. He went back to broadcasting for a year and then he took the Warriors to five straight championships. So, and David Griffin, uh, along with Steve Kerr left because he didn't want to be left holding the bag when Steve Kerr left to deal with ownership. So, um, I have PTSD. 
Okay. Post-traumatic son's disorder. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've got PTSD and I'm not thinking this is going to end as well as it should have. And I'm disappointed. It's too bad because it really does seem like this Nuggets team and this Suns team are, are tied at the hip in a lot of ways with yeah. how they've handled some of these situations where Jokic and, and Devin Booker were the two that were in first. I think Chris Paul kind of serves Jamal Murray role in this case where he kind of accentuates what's already there as the second star. MPJ and DeAndre Ayton are that third star, the guy that you would assume is going to be that that third guy, the third wheel. And then Aaron Gordon and Mikhail Bridges both had identical contracts that they basically signed uh, as as extensions over the course as, of as this, perfect this past offseason. Fourth guy that those yeah. three need to be the glue and the connecting tissue of everything else they those guys don't do. Exactly. So it's just very interesting to see how. We, we in Denver were very concerned about whether the Nuggets would pay up. Uh, we thought that they would pay up for Porter, uh, but paying up for Gordon and, and that fourth kind of connective piece, there's there's at least questions about whether they, they would have done that and whether they would have signed, kind of signed the death knell for being a tax team, which is what Denver has just done. Uh, I don't know what the Suns are going to do with regard to the tax over the course of these coming years, but... Uh, is that a particular concern for Suns fans? <laughs> yeah, it is because Robert Sarver has done everything he can to avoid paying the tax over the years. Uh, there was a time, and again, this is 10 years ago, but you know what? That was the last time the Suns were good. So I can only go back 10 years. Those are my only options. Sure. Um, he had Kurt Thomas coming off the 2007 season. Again, to, coming off that 2007 season where the Suns were the favorites to make the finals and possibly win. But the Spurs, of course, spurred them, uh, found a way to win that series in the second round and ended up taking the championship. Um, the Suns, that was their apex. And they had Kurt Thomas being the heavy for Amari Stoudemire, who was very similar to Anthony Davis today in that Anthony Davis does not want to play the five. He doesn't want to be the only big guy out there setting all the screens, boxing out, all that stuff. He wants to be the the high flyer fun guy. And that's what Amari Stoudemire was back in the day. So they had Kurt Thomas playing center who was much more earthbound, much more defensive oriented. Um, the Suns were going to have to pay the luxury tax and guess what? Uh, Robert Sarver reportedly demanded that Steve Kerr, their new GM find a taker for Kurt Thomas for cash. And the only taker Steve Kerr found was uh, where he had to include two first round picks with Kurt Thomas to get Seattle to take Kurt Thomas's $8 million. It was something ridiculously low, but significant for the luxury tax level, $8 million and two first round picks. One of those first round picks turned into Serge Ibaka. So yeah, it would have been a and, nice and little replacement for him. The Sonics or thunder into the finals. Cause the, the Sonics didn't need Kurt Thomas, but they wanted those first round picks and they got, Serge Ibaka for free out of that to add to their core that they already had that they were building toward and they became a finals team. So, uh, um, yes, luxury taxes and issues. Robert Sarver has mentioned a couple of times. He knows he's going to be in the luxury tax a year from now. Um, the question is how and in what fashion and how many single dollars over that line he ends up being because he's not going to overpay because what you do when you're in the, over the luxury taxes, you're paying your fellow owners cash because you don't have a way to control yourself. That was their control over each other. 
And Sarver has been getting luxury tax money, receiving luxury tax money for uh, 15 straight years now. Since Oh, no, sorry. 11 straight years now since the last time he paid. And now he's got to pay in a year from now. He's not going to be happy with that because that's a net negative, right? Instead of income, it's outgo. Uh, and, uh, but so I am concerned. I don't know about you guys in Denver on your comfort with, like you just mentioned, you were a little worried about it, but uh, the Suns are definitely worried about it. We were. Uh, at this point, there's just no humane way that Denver can avoid the luxury tax at this point. So, uh, they, they've locked in. They've locked in their their starting five, basically, because they also signed Will Barton, and he's on yeah. a guaranteed contract next year as well. So they're going to pay it. And then I think it's it's exciting for Denver fans that they feel like the team has committed to uh, their success. Uh, I, I hope that the Suns do the same thing, because I want to see these teams at full strength go against each other at some point, whenever that is. Hopefully it's this year, maybe it's next year, but uh, these two teams deserve to go head-to-head at full strength and kind of right the wrong of the Jamal Murray injury, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And um, hopefully for you guys, I'm really really hoping for you guys that Jamal Murray comes back healthy. I am not a guy who wants other teams to be injured. I want my team to be healthy. I want your team to be healthy. And I just want to see who wins the game. I loved yeah. it in the early season games when the Suns and, and Denver played. Remember those back-to-backs? Oh, well, yeah. Well, it, it was two days apart, but it was a home-home. Uh, home. So good. Such so good, good games. Right? Yeah. And, you yeah. know, Suns fans are still a little perturbed that Jamal Murray got a four-step step back, you know, <laughs> that he got to go to tie the game to force the overtime to win the second game eventually. Yeah, I mean, we're a little we're a little bit upset about that, but it was just regular season. If that had been playoffs game seven, A, would have been epic as hell. Yeah. B, <laughs> we'd be burning Denver right now if it actually went through that he got to take four steps for his step back to tie the game. Uh, but anyway, Denver's fun to watch. Denver's fun to play against. I think it's a great matchup for the Suns. There's no real bad blood. You know, Nikola Jokic got really frustrated in game four and he swiped it. He was just swiping at the ball. We all know this. Nobody holds any ill will. He just did something you egregiously cannot do in a game. And so he had to be let, you know, told to go home. But we don't hold it against you guys. We have no bad blood. I think it'll be fun. I do too. And I think it's time to start previewing that. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will start talking about this game. We'll be right back. Back, pickaxe and roll, crossing over with Sun Solar Panel uh, on the YouTube. You guys may have seen that that loop in just now, but uh, we are really excited to help preview this game for both audiences here. And I want to start off with this. Uh, we, we've talked about it. We've we've abetted abetted it a little bit, but I, I've heard from mostly troll Suns fans that oh, the Nuggets. Uh, they they would they wouldn't even be close even if Jamal Murray was back and even if Chris Paul or Devin Booker was out they the Suns would have still won they were still a much better team can we just put that to bed that if both of these teams were fully healthy then it would have just been an epic six or seven game series either way it would have been probably seven games with three overtime games 
You know, that's what it would have. It would have been like early season. Now, in yeah. in Suns fans' defense, early season Suns, they were eight and eight. They weren't. They hadn't found themselves yet. But at the same time, they played really well in those. I thought they played pretty well in those games. Um, and the Denver played really well in those games, and they were totally fun. There was three overtimes between the two games alone. Yeah. Right. It was, it was a, a, just a really, really fun experience just looking back at it because I think the first one was on national TV and, and it got people really hyped, really excited. And then it was one of the first times that they had had a home and home uh, for the entire season. Uh, actually, oh, no, I think both games were actually in Phoenix, if I'm not mistaken. Um, were they, were they in Denver? Uh, go ahead. Anyway, keep going. I, I, I know that one of them at least was in Phoenix. Uh, but either way, they were just so exciting. Barn burners down to the last breath. And, and you see the execution that both teams were playing with at that high level when they're both at well, reasonably full strength there. And then Denver goes and adds Aaron Gordon, and you feel like they have a better matchup cha- uh, case for a lot of these other teams that have their star forwards. And then they go and face the Blazers and the Suns, who have the two best backcourts in the conference. And it's just very frustrating at that point but uh, you know you're, you're totally right and and i think that it's it the, both of these teams are so dynamic and they execute very well especially on the offensive end of the floor that it would have been very very fun mm-hmm. uh but let's get into this season let's get into this year we're, we're not going to be worrying about the health of jamal murray at this point because it's 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 a long way away still uh but the nuggets are still a strong team they're still like even even without murray they they were missing pj dozier in the playoffs last year who was definitely their best guard defender uh so my question i think we'll we'll probably circle back to the suns here uh how have the suns looked in preseason to you do you have any tangible changes positives concerns like what what's been going on with the suns this preseason sure and actually if um if I have a chance here, I'm going to plug myself a little bit um, for my own fans, as well as for Denver fans. Just last Saturday, my last episode on the sun solar panel, if you look on YouTube or on the podcast, because obviously uh, Nuggets fans are subscribed to my podcast, but anyway, obviously. if you do, obviously, but you can do a search on YouTube for sun solar panel and look at Saturday, um, uh, October, what was it? 15th. I had this, uh, guy Evan Golberto on and he did film breakdown on preseason. And the, basically the outcome of that is all the actions that the Suns limited to running for Booker this past year, uh, they can now they've now set themselves up to be able to run all those actions with Mikkel Bridges and Landry Shamit, depending on who else is on the floor with Booker and Paul to break up, basically make it uh, harder for the defense to know who to defend because if you're going to, if you're going to face guard Devin Booker, fine, he'll just set a back pick, get his guy up, you know, mess up the defense that way. So that he forces a switch. And then all of a sudden some other guy can run his action for him instead. And then he spots out to the corner where he made almost 50% of his threes. So uh, last year, so it's, it's, it's a pick your poison offense more so this year than last year. So I think the Suns actually, I know they had 30 point leads in three out of their four games, um, and none of those were with both Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Of course, preseason's preseason, whatever. I, uh, by the way, my hot take is the Lakers are going to be much more disappointing than anybody thinks they will be this year. Mm. Um, and they okay. looked incredibly awful against the Suns. Even and then they even lost to the Kings when they played all their three big 
best players in 29 minutes plus. But anyway, that's I think I think we can both be very united (laughs) about the fact that whatever our differences may be, we will absolutely be rooting for the demise of the Los Angeles Lakers this year. (laughs) They added Carmelo Anthony, who I don't know if you heard, but but Nuggets fans aren't exactly happy with Carmelo, especially going to the Lakers at this late stage in his career. My my take uh, on Carmelo Anthony on the Lakers is just like it was on Carmelo Anthony on the Blazers. It's fun uh, for a for an opposing team fan to watch because he's so blatant about his love of himself and his love of his shot making, but he still gives up more points than he scores. And whatever unit he's in is getting blasted on the court on the score so, scoreboard. So you guys can Very enjoy. Cool. Carmelo, um, you know, um, demonstrating after every made shot, but still losing the games. That's uh, that'll be <laughs> at least his 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 shifts in in the game. Um, but anyway, it. going back to um, how the Suns look, they <clears throat> they're diversifying the offense a little bit more. They actually feel a lot better about Landry Shamet than his prior employers did as far as his overall game. Monty Williams was his first coach as an assistant back with the Sixers. And uh, Shamit has been basically, he was in college as a point guard and then he came into the NBA and they basically turned him into JJ Redick type where all he does is run off screens and wait for spot ups. Um, he's more, more he's going to be in more of a ball handler role for the Suns. Now, hmm. what does this mean overall? Are the Suns going to be better this year? Potentially better. Uh, they look good in preseason as far as more uh, more options on offense. Their defense, they, they had almost no turnover. So you're going to see the same exact team you just saw in the playoffs, except you'll have more people um, in your, you know, in your stable of, of players uh, to go out there against the Suns. So it'll be a tougher game for sure. Uh, but basically, you'll see the same exact Suns team. The new the only new things will be Landry Sham. It'll be um, backing up Devin Booker in the second unit. And you'll see JaVale McGee basically reprising DeAndre Ayton's role for the other 10 minutes, but completely unable to defend Jokic. So still, no matter what. So uh, you're still probably going to see Ayton play a lot, although it's the first game of the year. So, you know, both teams might limit their starters uh, minutes and we'll see a lot of the bench units. So that's my, my take on preseason is they look exactly like they did last year, if not slightly better. Interesting. Um, my my big kind of takeaway from that and and like an extended run for Landry Shamit, I assume that campaign is still going to have an extended role as well. Mm-hmm. I think he definitely earned that given given what he did last year. He was one of the best backup point guards in the league. And mm-hmm. uh, he's he clearly showed that all the way through the playoffs. So how do you think that's going to affect the defense that if they're adding more playmakers, if they're adding more offensive options that can kind of diversify things? Is that going to, I mean, not ruin the defense, but maybe lessen the effectiveness of it at least a little bit? Um, we're talking about, uh, so basically Landry Shaman is probably going to take, and oh, you guys will uh, know exactly what I'm talking about here, basically take up a lot of the minutes that Tory Craig got last year in terms yeah. of being that, basically, uh, base, being that fifth wing. That, uh, that comes out for 10 to 15 minutes a game. He only ended up playing about 10 to 15 minutes a game for the Suns. He had gotcha. some nice moments, but he was mostly an extra. Landry Shamit will be a little bit more on-ball version, a little bit less defensive-oriented version, but the rest of the unit, everything else is going to stay the same. Campaign's still going to get his 18 minutes a game behind Chris Paul's 30. Um, this is just minutes when Devin Booker rests. Uh, who's going to play? Or maybe they'll play all three, Paul, 
Booker and Shamit, like they toward the end of the year started playing um, campaign a little bit with the other two. So it, it, that's possible, but you're right that the defense can suffer if you take a better defending wing, bigger wing out for Shamit. Um, Shamit's a little bit smaller and less, less sturdy on the defensive end. I don't know about ruin it though. You're only really talking about a, uh, uh, 10 minute swing in, in a, in a unit that may or may not be with other starters, but they will be a notch less on defense probably because of it. And their offense will be a notch higher. So maybe it'll net out. We'll just have to see now, Landry. I'm sorry. Let me sh- Landry Shaman has played himself out of playoff rotations three years in a row, which is why he keeps getting traded mm. because he's not that good in high pressure defense necessary situations. So who knows how big a role he's going to get. It's very curious. Um, what I will say is that offense will absolutely trump everything that if he continues to play well and continues to shoot well, especially in a regular season context, then he's going to be an absolutely massive help for the Suns group where you give them a little bit of extra flexibility. You give them the opportunity to run Booker off of ball screens and and uh, just, just play in off-ball actions a little bit more. Because uh, he's he's done that extremely well throughout his career as he's had less playmaking responsibility. Uh, Mikhail Bridges having an extended role is very interesting to me as well. Uh, moving kind of towards the Denver side, they've looked okay. Uh, the starters look they they should be pretty good. They other than a kind of a throwaway game against the OKC Thunder, where if you ask me, they really weren't trying. Uh, yeah. Every every other game was really good. Uh they preseason they is completely well. yeah, you don't know. Yeah, and like it's it's just this team is having difficulties, uh not not motivating, but uh they've always had difficulties trying to play with the urgency that Michael Malone wants on a consistent basis. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Suns and the Jazz and teams like that were such great regular season teams last year is because they took every game seriously. They made sure that mm-hmm. they were going to deliver the best possible punch that they could every single time. Denver's not like that, but they will get up for some games. Uh, I was at practice yesterday when Will Barton said, I, we've been talking about the Suns. We've been talking and we we definitely know that they're the team that we're facing in the season opener. And, and that is something that I think it was we'll kind of a, a sour taste in their mouth a little bit after what happened last season. Uh, so maybe they'll get up for this one. I hope that they get up for this <laughs> one because if they don't, that's a that's a pretty big red flag right there. Well, this is your fifth, uh, fourth or fifth straight season with the same core. I mean, obviously Jamal Murray is is injured, but he's still with the team constantly, right? I mean, isn't he there right. like all the time, right? So it's the basically they all know what they're getting. They know. They're a really good playoff team. They know um, we Suns fans know it as well. Uh, their demise in the playoffs was rooted in fatigue and Jamal Murray's absence. Um, I'd still, obviously, I still think the Suns would have won the series, but it might have been seven games and it might have had a few overtimes in there. Um, but as a homer, I've got to pick the Suns just like you would have picked Denver. Um, sure. And uh, I, but that I would did be pick Denver. I definitely yeah. did pick them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's it'd be an epic series, and I would love it. Um, but you guys are on year four or five together and you know what you are. Whereas the Suns are still trying now, they're they're still in a little bit of a prove-it mode. Uh, should be a lot of it in a prove-it mode. So we'll see how Chris Paul is in year two with motivating these guys on a second-by-second basis like he did a year ago. I think they're going to be very effective in that. You're going to see almost certainly a very focused Suns team 
Um, and if the Nuggets have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder to, to prove in one win um, how different it would be if they were even a little bit healthier still without Jamal Murray, they probably will. And it could be a really fun game. But the other way to look at this is it's game one of 82. <laughs> so True. we'll see how much they really get up for it. Not to mention season openers are always weird every single yeah. year. Sometimes you'll get the the big blowouts like you had. I think it was last year or the year before. Oh, no, it was, it was last year where uh, the Nets and the Warriors faced off against each other. And it was just an absolute crushing oh, of, of, of the Warriors, which was, yeah. it was really funny. And I, I did really enjoy it, but uh, <laughs> from like uh, kind of contrasting to how the sun's bench, it, it is very much a machine, especially when Chris Paul rotates in there. Uh, Denver's bench, still a little bit of a mess. Uh, rookie bones Highland, who's the 26 overall pick is actually like, believe it or not, might be a savior for this bench unit, especially kind of in the early going where he is one of the only players that they feel comfortable can create his own shot, shoot off the dribble, and and sort of add to the ceiling of that group. Uh, it's not something that people expected, uh, but kind of like Landry Shamit could give them a potential boost in a different way than they had last year. Uh, and we're going to see because they kind of without Jamal Murray, they have lost that that off the dribble juice that they usually had with a two man game like that. Uh, their Nuggets fans are really hoping that Bones Highland can provide that. Yeah. So let me ask about Bones. Um, obviously, you've only seen him for a few preseason games and and the summer league. But <clears throat> um, do you think that what, how many minutes do you think he's going to get early in the season? Do you think it's it's a 10 to 15 minute or a 20, 25 minute kind of role? I think it's probably closer to 10 to 15. Uh, if if we know anything about Michael Malone, it's that he, he struggles he a little bit to 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 at least throw them into the fire a little bit. But one yeah. different thing about Bones that uh, other than any rookie that's really come in so far is that he has this skill set already that is ready made for the NBA. He shoots off the dribble well, he play makes well for others. He has a very high basketball IQ when it comes to the offensive side of the floor and he's not a sieve defensively like I thought he would be in his rookie season. He gets into passing lanes. He has a six foot nine wingspan, despite the fact that he's 170 uh, soaking wet. Like Mm. he really is light in the light in the seat, but he can absolutely get after it Uh, offensively. If if you don't, if you don't respect his game, that he will go off and he's very confident. That's, that's one thing about him that, the Nuggets have really taken to is his confidence, his personality. It's very infectious. They want him to succeed. And I think that Michael Malone's going to put him in a, in a, in kind of a, a situation where he can succeed, which I, I'm, I'm very surprised about to be frank. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. How does Aaron, so let me ask you a few questions. How does Aaron Gordon look so far? Or do you not really know because it's preseason? Well, first three games, he looked pretty good. And and it was it was really exciting, especially kind of in those those first couple where he sort of set the tone a little bit with his physicality, his ability to get to the rim, kind of doing some playmaking, some rebounding, just uh, all around versatile game, uh, really being trying to be as powerful of a player forward as possible. And then against OKC in the last game that he played, he goes one of eight, uh, looks kind of hapless gets two rebounds, just doesn't really do much of anything. And he kind of showed some of the traits that he had 
in that Sun series where if the shot isn't going down, then the value just isn't really there when he's not super engaged on the defensive end. So I am very curious to see how he responds in a situation where he's going back up against the Suns, probably is going to get uh, probably not the Devin Booker assignment, but he might get the Mikhail Bridges assignments. Uh, I am very curious to see how he responds to that and if he tries to be physical and at the rim and if he can finish those layups or not, or if he just kind of shrinks from the moments because it, it, it sort of felt like he did last year. As a, as a, as an opposing fan. Uh, so probably with the, with those kind of um, uh, glasses on and obviously with the, with the Suns winning the series, it looked like the nuggets putting Aaron Gordon on Chris Paul um, sounded good in theory but was terrible in actuality because it kind of screwed up the whole rest of the Denver defense on the backside. And all Chris Paul had to do was get, you know, get a little bit of daylight around Aaron Gordon. That's what I, that's what I remember either, either whoever is guarding you between Devin Booker and Chris Paul, whoever had the ball, if you put him at the point of attack, it kind of messed up the back line. Do you, do you think Michael Malone has more solutions to shore that up better this year? Kind of. Uh, it really comes down to Michael Porter Jr. Because that's what I remember from that series where mm. the Suns put oh, Michael God. Porter as the rotating oh, man for the, so entire, the entire series. And he <laughs> couldn't do anything about it. And one of the reasons... Why I felt the, bad was, for MPJ. <laughs> I did too. Uh, he actually tripped over Faku Campazo in game one of that series and hurt his back and was on the injury report for the entire rest of the time. Yeah. Uh, do I think that that contributed to some of his lack of mobility in that series? Yes. Do I sure. think that it was the entire reason why he struggled to guard in space against two of the best guards of the NBA and then sort of was made mid-speed by Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges too? Uh, yeah, I think there's probably a combination of both of those things where he has some growing to do, but the hope is that he gets back and he gets more involved and, and more intent on improving that defensive rotations, the, the, uh, the limitations that he showed last year, which were really, really bad. Uh, if he ever wants to live up to his contract, he has to start there. Well, we've seen it firsthand with Devin Booker growing into a passable defender. Um, I don't know how, how nationwide the reputation is changing, but uh, he definitely has developed into a passable defender, a guy who, they had a top six defense and he didn't hurt it. You know, kind of like Steph Curry is not a great defender, but the Warriors had such a good defense around him that, that he knew where to be at the right times. And, and I feel like you can do that with MPJ at some point. Um, and, and, and he then, and also Devin Booker has taken one-on-ones as a personal thing, uh, man on defense. And I think if MPJ does that, he can, he can definitely not be a guy targeted. Cause that's what you don't, you don't want to be the next Kevin Love. It really is crazy. That's, of of the two players, Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter, that the Suns chose to target, they chose repeatedly to go at MPJ. It wasn't at Jokic. It was they they would put Jokic in the action, but the rotation behind him was how they would really sort of attack the rest of their defense. Whether it was getting that backside guy on the move, or if it was getting Jokic in space and then having him go with Chris Paul or Devin Booker and then DeAndre Ayton, who you said, you said earlier that he wasn't hitting the mid range at super high efficiency. It felt like 
DeAndre he was hitting <laughs> every single mid-range jumper in that series. He was great um, in the playoffs. He was like one of the so best great. players in the playoffs. I loved it. I know. I know. Max that dude. But I mean, it's it's <laughs> just it was just crazy. And and Chris Paul made every mid-range shot, and Devin Booker made the the and ones where guys were jumping to the side of him and he yeah. jumped into them as well. Uh, that's hopefully just, that's supposedly going away this year. So supposedly. We'll I mean, yeah. And, and I, I would love to see even my own players <laughs> just get the non calls and have to deal with it because we've been wanting that for years. I, I don't trust the refs to stay with it, but I really hope they do. Denver doesn't have anybody that benefits from those calls anyway. Like it, it really, it really is crazy that they are probably the team that is affected the most positively by it because they try to play good defense and they don't have anybody that actually tries to take advantage of the kind of jumping into people situation of, of what yeah, the NBA and I has think that begun. was only really recent, like Devin Booker never used to, but I think he did more of no, last yeah. year than before. And I know you're not targeting him. I'm just saying he's too that's good. Really like, not he's, his he's, game to dive yeah, in guys. Chris Paul is the one who draws fouls, but that's not the, the kind of fouls. Chris Paul draws are not the ones that are legislating out. Chris Paul doesn't necessarily jump into a dude and flail his legs. What he does is he flails his arms and he gets the foul call that way. And then he just walks struts to the free throw line before the call is even done being made while the whistle is yeah. still peeling. He's walking to the free throw line, but, but anyway, great. <laughs> Great if you're if he's on your team. Yeah, really, really fun. <laughs> oh, okay. I used to hate let, it when he wasn't on the Suns, and now I love it that he is. Let Let us circle back here real quick, and uh, for the last five minutes or so, we'll talk about uh, various matchups that you're looking forward to, the matchup that you're least looking forward to, and then a prediction for for the game. All right. Uh, uh, do you want to start, or you want me to? Uh, I'll start. I'll start. The matchup that I'm most looking forward to on Wednesday is I, I want to see Michael Porter versus Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder. I believe that if Michael Porter is going to show more on ball playmaking, more on ball scoring strength with the ball in his hands, then it has to come against the team that really disrupted him last year in the playoffs. Uh, the Blazers started this with Norman Powell. I think he was excellent at it in just getting into his airspace constantly. But the the Suns continued it and really, really hassled him throughout that entire playoff run. And I'm I'm very curious to see how he handles that. That's the one I'm looking forward to the most. Whether it happens or not remains to be seen, and whether whether he succeeds or not remains to be seen. But that's I think what will determine Denver's season, at least in the regular season, for for this particular game. Yeah. The one I'm most looking forward to is Aiden against Jokic because I have such a clear memory of Jokic still being very good, but it can do more than most. Like we talked about earlier in the pod, um, Aiden doing more than most to uh, knock Jokic off his game a little bit. And that was the most locked in that whole playoff run, not just the one series, but the whole playoff run was the most locked in consistently that we've seen Aiden in his career. And I'm curious if it's going to continue, especially with him um, a little disgruntled over his contract situation. So I'm really curious about Aiden's body language. And I don't know if game one is going to be indicative of the season. In fact, I don't think it necessarily will be. If he plays really well, we can hope. If he plays really bad, we can hope the opposite. Um, I really think it's going to take him a little bit of time to settle in who he's going to be this year on a 
on an expiring contract and it won't be game one that will tell us everything. But I am curious how he does come out in game one. We might see a 2020 game from him and we might see a 10 and five game from him. I have no clue, none of what we're going to see from DeAndre Aiden. Um, so that that I'm, I'm most looking forward to. Well, let's root for the 10 and five game. If you're a Nuggets fan, that sounds pretty <laughs> great to me. Uh, the matchup that I am least looking forward to on Wednesday night is Michael Porter being put on the Nyland defensively. Uh, it, it, it is the stuff of nightmares. If like, as we talked about that, mm-hmm. it is something that I think that Denver is going to have to face for their entire tenure. Like as, as a championship contender, if they want to call themselves that, that that's just the question that they have to answer. It's it's not the interior rim protection like people want to talk about because people don't have, like teams don't actually get to the rim as much against Denver uh, because of the way that they play defense. They just finish at a really high clip. Uh, the one that I'm worried most about is Porter being a defensive sieve, and if he is, then and, and it kind of starts in game one of the season, then it's going to really set the tone for what the rest of the year is going to look like. Hopefully it's a building block, but I'm, I'm not looking forward to watching it. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I don't, I don't know. Chris Paul is Chris Paul, man. Every second of every game matters to him. However, I don't know that Monty Williams is going to run the game the way they did in the playoffs. I, I don't think you're going to see Chris Paul or, uh, or either Devin Booker or Chris Paul isolating on Michael Porter Jr. as consistently in game one of the regular season as you did in the playoffs because that's when the games mattered the most. You'll probably see Michael Porter Jr. not be targeted until maybe the fourth quarter if it's close. And then you'll see it for half a quarter and then we'll see what happens. But it won't be at least, um, I'm pretty sure you're not going to see it for four straight quarters like you did <laughs> 16 straight quarters um, a couple of months ago. So maybe you won't have as many nightmares and he might be better. And the Suns may be uh, in experiment mode and and who knows what's going to happen. Uh, but definitely I can see why that would be one you'd be worried about. My worry is the Suns not giving, I mean, this is kind of out of left field, uh, not giving enough credit to Denver's tertiary scorers and somebody lighting the suns up for 30 points that wasn't supposed to score 10. That could be bones Highland. That could be uh, Aaron Gordon. That could be heck is Marcus Howard still on the team. I don't know if he'll get any Marcus, Marcus Howard does have a two way contract. Uh, he He's probably not going to play, uh, but he did actually just score 31 points on nine threes against <laughs> the thunder in, in the, and he made uh, shots against finale. the suns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Could be Monty Morris, could be PJ. Somebody like that is going to get 20 points that the Suns are just like, oh man, why is that happening to us? And that's going to make the game closer or give Denver a bigger lead than they than the Suns are planning on. Will Barton would be my candidate for that, uh, just as somebody who wasn't in the starting lineup until game four of the last game of the last yeah. series. And it's a little known fact, but when Will Barton was on the floor during that series specifically, mm-hmm. Denver played the Suns even. And that's kind of wild. <laughs> that's, it, it's even close in that. In yeah, regard. there's probably theories on that, but uh, you're absolutely right. that He was a spark plug for them emotionally. And oh, that it, helped it, them. It's not even that. It's just that they sucked so bad during the rest of that time. Like, <laughs> you know, true. those those minus points came from somewhere. Uh, and it was it was a, a lot of minus points, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it didn't happen when Barton was on the floor. And I think that that's what Denver's hoping for this time around, that 
even if Jamal Murray isn't back, they can still count on a veteran score to get them 20 every now and then. Right. Okay. Let's go predictions now. Uh, I am predicting a Suns win. I've watched the Nuggets in preseason, and I still have concerns. I think that Denver's going to get out to a slower start this year. Uh, just adjusting to Porter as the second option. The bench is kind of still a mess, like I said. Uh, I think this game will be close still, but I, I, I it'll probably be closer than most of the playoff games, let's be honest. Uh, I'm going to go Suns 115, Denver 107. And probably like it's it's a, a comfortable Suns victory in the last minute or two. Yeah, what I'm going to say, and of course, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you, but here's what I'm going to say is the outcome of game one has no impact on the rest of the season. So no matter what, Denver win, Suns win. Look, if, if Denver loses again and all of a sudden it's the, they haven't won a game against the Suns, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't mean anything. The Denver could easily win the next couple that they meet each other. You know, it doesn't really True. matter. Um, but I will say that the Suns look so focused um, in preseason and hearing what you're saying about Denver being on and off in preseason, I'd probably guess a Suns win. But there's always a potential that Denver just blows them out because the Suns think they'll win. And Denver decides, oh, the Suns just embarrassed us. It's time for us to show who's boss. And everybody comes out super focused and the Suns don't. So I can see Denver winning by 20. I can see that. I think the likelihood is a Suns win. But I see Denver blowing out the Suns and me telling all of my fans, not Suns fans, not my fans, but Suns fans, that uh, don't worry, it's just game one. The guy who we've barely talked about during this stretch is Jokic, actually. Like he he just seems like a right. a rock he's a foregone where, conclusion. <laughs> kind of 30, a foregone like, nine. He's gonna have 30, yeah, 10, and nine. Like, he might get a triple double, but it'll, he'll probably end up very, very close. And uh that's gonna lead the De- Denver into a very, very close game. The question is who else on Denver is gonna score big? And that's uh we won't know until we see it. Will he have a perfect triple double like he did when he indoctrinated DeAndre Ayton into the league in his <laughs> yeah. <rookie> year? <laughs> yes. Oh my God, that was an eye-opening game for that was Ayton's second or third game in his career. Yeah. He had just beaten Luca in the opening game on ESPN, and I think he was. I mean, he's always felt better about himself, and everyone else has DeAndre Ayton, and that was a wake-up call. Since then, Jokic has <laughs> had a tougher time against him. But Much I feel tougher. like it could be a perfect triple-double night for for Jokic, and that's why I'm warning everybody, whatever happens in game one doesn't really matter the rest of the season. Well, Dave, you've been awesome. And, and to both of our audiences, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, really appreciate you sticking around. Uh, I, we both predict a Suns victory, but I, I'm predicting it's going to be close. So keep it tuned. It is going to be close. Tuned to ESPN. Should be a lot of fun. Dave, uh, plug what you want to plug. I know this is a crossover episode, so this is, uh, I hopefully, no, no, I'll plug it for my own folks too. too. So, sure. uh, yeah. So obviously, uh, we, we, uh, we have a Saturday show every, every Saturday morning. We do a live show this Saturday. I've got Bob young who in the Phoenix market folks will remember. He was the one who was on the beat when, uh, the Joe Johnson debacle happened, which is very similar mm. to the DeAndre Aiden thing this year. I can also talk to him. He was doing side work for the Republic at the time, our local paper when, uh, the Sean Marion thing happened as well. So we're going to talk about sons and extensions and contract issues this Saturday with Bob Young. 
Uh, but every every Saturday we do a live show and then uh, uh, we do these midweek ones all the time too. Very cool. Very, very cool. I, I, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Uh, Nuggets fans, if you're interested on Denver Stiffs, we have NBA staff predictions and tomorrow, Wednesday, we will have Nuggets specific staff predictions for the, the entire writing staff contributed to those put in a lot of work uh, should be great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what people say because there are some pretty interesting predictions on that one. Uh, but for everybody else, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Really looking forward to a great matchup on Wednesday night. And we will talk to you guys very soon.